Father in heaven, what a blessing it is to be able to be here. Lord, we're so thankful to be able to study the Bible and to learn more about Jesus. And Lord, we need Your Spirit to come and dwell here to fill our hearts and our minds. Lord, we need to understand Your Word more clearly and more fully. Lord, we want to understand the fullness of Jesus' character and be drawn closer to Him. So Lord, I pray that as we look at this topic, talking about the day of rest that You've blessed us with, that Father, You would give us clear understanding and that each one of us would be drawn closer to You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now there was a couple of you, a few of you actually I should say, who weren't here last night, and I, I won't be going through the whole topic that we covered last night, but in summary, just to bring you back up to speed, and I think we have enough that we'll cover that's duplicate tonight that will help you be reminded of what you studied last night, is that we looked at the topic that in the last day in Revelation chapter 14, God is calling people to worship the Creator, right? We looked at that in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, where it said, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him. And then it tells us who the Him is who made heaven and earth, the seas and the fountains of water. You see, Revelation is calling people back to a worship of the Creator, and we looked at that. Well, what does it mean to worship the Creator? So we went back to the creation story, and we realized that God created the whole world in six days, and on the seventh day, He instituted a very special time of worship that we can spend time with Him, and we know that as the Bible Seventh-day Sabbath. Now, as we looked at that Sabbath, we realized that Jesus not only talked about it there in creation story, but it was also reiterated in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandment Law, right? That God had told people, remember the Sabbath day. Why did He tell them to remember? Well, because they had forgotten it before, and God was trying to remind them of the blessing that God is a God who longs to spend time with His people. You see, God hadn't forsaken them after thousands of years in slavery. Well, actually, not thousands of years in slavery, but after thousands of years after the time of creation, but God was still a God who longed to spend a whole day with His people. Now some people say, well that's kind of legalistic if you're going to be spending a whole day with God. I want to ask you a question. Is it legalistic for me to spend a whole day with my wife? No, absolutely not, right? Anytime you can spend time with someone you love, it's not an act of legalism, it's an act of love. How can I rest in knowing you and seeing the beauty of your character and being drawn closer to that person through quality time? God knew that we needed quality time in His people, and He didn't want us to work ourselves to death, and so He gave us the Sabbath. Now we realize that the Sabbath wasn't just given for the Jews because it was given before the Jews were ever in existence, thousands of years, 2,300 years to be exact, before Jews were ever on the face of the earth. Now we realize that the Sabbath wasn't only important in the Old Testament, but Jesus, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, we'll look at it again tonight, as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, spent time worshiping God with other like-minded believers every seventh-day Sabbath. We realize that the apostles had the same practice and that all throughout the Bible we see from Genesis to Revelation that God is a God who longed to spend time with His people. Now, if you could think of one way to draw someone else away from God, what would be the main thing that you would attack? Well, if you can get them not to spend time with someone, you know that you can draw them closer away and maybe bring them over to your side, right? So it's no doubt that we see that there's an attack going on where God longs to spend time with His people, but we realize that there's someone else who longs to pull us away from God, and who do you think that person is? Satan himself. 
Remember, we're reminded of this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says, So the dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who does what? Deceives the whole world. How many times have we heard about deception in connection to the end time? Matthew chapter 24, Jesus tells us twice, make sure that no one deceives you. Here we see that Satan's one purpose is to deceive us. John chapter 8 tells us that Satan is a liar and the father of it. And constantly Jesus is warning us, hey, I want you to beware not to be deceived. He says that he's going out to deceive the whole world and he was cast to this earth and his angels were cast out with him. Well, we know that the deceptions when Satan came were very blatant against what God had said, right? God told Eve, and we looked at this on night number three, he said that don't go near to that tree in the midst of the garden, right? That one have nothing to do with it. Don't eat of it. Don't touch it lest you do what? Die. Now when Satan came to Eve, he says you're not going to die. Because God knows that in the day that you eat of that tree, you're going to be like him, knowing both good and evil. In other words, Satan took the very thing that God said and said it doesn't matter anymore. And actually, you should forget about what God said, and you should just do what seems right to you. Now, it's very interesting that it was when Eve departed from the word of God that Eve found deception. If Eve would have been just harboring the Word of God in her heart and only following the things that God had said in her Word, would she have ever been deceived? No, she would have been, by the grace of God, empowered to overcome the victory and have the victory over the deception. We see Jesus, that the only way He was able to overcome the deceptions of Satan, Matthew chapter 4, was because He held on to the words of Jesus in the Bible. Now we notice, listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Make you free. I don't know about you, but I want to be free, right? We don't want to be living in the bounds of sin, and we realize that Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 tells us that Jesus has come, that he might wash us from our sins in his what? In his own blood. The whole desire of Jesus and God is to separate us from our sins so that we can be free in the truth that God gives us. Now it's interesting that Jesus says that there's one way that we can know the truth and that we can be set free. And how is that? He says, if you abide in what? My word. We realize that there is no safety and drawing close to God if we're not drawing close to God like he says in his word. We have to take Jesus as what he says. We have to trust that what he tells us is truly the best way of life. You see, as we look into the pages of scripture, God gives us the very things that we need to be safeguarded against the deceptions of the devil. Well, knowing that Satan wants worship, knowing that God tells us that his word is what will keep us from deception, what do you think Satan will try to change in order to deceive God's people? Well, it would be his word, right? If you have his word, you abide in his truth, and it sets you free. Satan, knowing that, says, I'm going to have to do something that's going to change the word of God. Now, we're going to look at this passage, and we've already flashed it on the screen once before, but we're going to take a whole look at Daniel chapter 7 in an upcoming night. But notice talking about the beast power and the antichrist power, notice what one of the intentions of this entity that's run by and given its influence of the devil, notice what it says it will do. It says Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 that this person or this power would think or intend to change times and what? 
laws. Now, can you ever change the law of God? Can you ever change the Word of God? You can try, right? You might even be able to write a different Bible that has different words, but does that change the actual Word of God? No, the words of God are sure. Jesus tells us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 that He is the Lord and He does not change. And His Word doesn't change either. And so the question that we're looking at is how is it that this person would try to change the law of God? Now we realize that the law of God, as we looked at in the opening question, is the very foundation of God's throne and His government. Right? The Ark of the Covenant is the sanctuary picture that we get in the book of Revelation. And we realize that inside the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandment laws of God, which was the very basis of God's kingdom. And if Satan was going to try to change the Word of God or the law of God, this would be the law that Satan was trying to change. He would be trying to do away with the very foundation of God's kingdom, changing his Ten Commandment law. And we'll look at this more of how this happened in an upcoming night. But we're going to look at something this evening that we find that we started the study on yesterday of how it is that Satan has attempted to change the law of God. Right? We're just looking at the Word of God. We're trying to understand it together. We're trying to see what is Jesus telling us that's important for our day today. Notice what Jesus says found in the very heart of the law of God. We realize that the first four of the Ten Commandments were given in relation to our love for God. Right? You shall have no other gods before me. It's not doing, dealing with how I deal with those around me, but it's dealing with my relationship with God and all of the other first four. And notice at the very heart of that is spending time with the very one who created us. Notice what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now notice it continues on. It says six days you shall do what? labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. And then it gives the reason here. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, the seventh day. And therefore the Lord blessed the what? Sabbath day and he hallowed it. You see, the Bible, right in the Ten Commandment law of God, is calling us to spend a day, a whole day with the Maker of the universe, getting to know Him more, seeing the beauty of His character. And how do you think Satan desires to separate us from God? Well, it wouldn't be in any other way than trying to get away our time with God. Notice that this is what we're going to look at this evening, is that Satan has an attack on God's law, and this isn't something that is just disconnected from our study of Revelation, but as we alluded to already, this is the very heart of the first angel's message given in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, and it says, and I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. There's this everlasting gospel that's going to the whole world and notice the content of this gospel. It says, fear, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him that made heavens and the earth and the sea and the fountains of water. You see, God in this very last call to share the everlasting gospel with the world as reminding people of the worship of their Creator. 
And why would God be reminding people of the worship of their Creator? And when the creation story tells us that God told us to worship Him on the seventh day, unless we might have forgotten it. You see, the reason why the Bible says remember is because God knew that we have a very good chance of forgetting. How many of you have ever worked so hard that you forget to take a day off? Any of you who have ever been self-employed or you might get home from work and you get so busy and you're working, working, working and it's so easy to forget to take the time that you need to spend with those that you love. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your creator. And God says, I need you to remember that I've built in a special place in time in which you can spend with me. That I love you so much as my people that I want to spend a whole day with you. And this is what the call in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7 is talking about. That God longs to give us a day of rest where we can step away from the cares of this world and experience the joys that only God can give. You see, it's God that longs to help us to experience the blessings that He has for us. Well, last night we did a survey of what God said about the Sabbath throughout the Bible. And we saw that there was a consistency that it was the seventh day of the week that God was calling us to rest from our labors all the way founded in creation. Reminding us of the power of God in creation. Reminding us of the goodness of God in redemption, right? Because it's God who works in us both to will and to do of our good pleasure. And remember the passage of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 that says that it's by grace that we're saved through faith, right? Not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we remember that it's as God calls us to expand, uh, to have this time with Him in restful worship that we stop working and we realize that it's only God who can provide for our salvation and it's only God who allowed us to be on this earth. Now what we're going to do this evening is I told you yesterday that there's eight passages in Scripture that refer to the first day of the week. Eight passages in Scripture that talk about the first day of the week. And what we want to look at tonight is do those passages tell us anything about a transference from the Sabbath from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week? Because we're looking at the question, if God gave us the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week to spend time with Him as our Creator, then why is it that the vast majority of the world today worships God on Sunday? Is, did God change something in the Bible or could it be that we might have a bit of a misunderstanding? Notice we're going to look through these passages in the New Testament. Five of the times that the Bible mentions first day of the week are found in the stories like the one that we read yesterday about the crucifixion where it talks about Jesus died on the preparation day, He rested on Sabbath, and He was raised from the dead on which day? On Sunday, or the first day of the week, as the Bible calls it. That's what five of those passage, passages talk about, and we don't have time to go through each one of those there, but if you're curious, just type in first day of the week on Google or in your concordance or whatever else, and you'll find those passages of Scripture right there. But what we want to look at tonight is the passages of Scripture that talk about the first day of the week and give us a little bit of context to help us to understand the details of what was going on the first day of the week. And what we're looking for is where the Bible tells us that he, God transferred the solemnity or the holiness of the Sabbath from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. Now notice this is the first passage that we come to. And this is right after Jesus was crucified. And why was Jesus crucified? 
Well, we realize that, Jesus, that the Jews didn't like Jesus very much, right? And they were out to get him. And we know as Christians that Jesus laid down his life or was crucified for our sins. But Jesus and his disciples, as they were watching what happened, they started to get a little bit worried because the man they had been following for three and a half years was just killed. And what does that tell them about what their lot in life might be? Do you think they were a little bit worried for their own lives? Notice what happens. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, and notice why they were assembled, for fear of the Jews, right? Jesus was just killed. And they'd been with him for three and a half years, and now they're thinking, man, we're next. And so they're inside this room, they're assembled together, they're gathered together for fear of the Jews on the first day of the week, and notice what happens. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Now isn't that a blessing about Jesus? That he says, I will give you a peace that passes all understanding? That even during the most troublesome times of the disciples' life, Jesus didn't leave them? Jesus tells us in the Great Commission, and lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. And as the disciples are terrified that Jesus was just crucified and they're wondering what the Jews are going to do to them, Jesus shows up and he settles their fears and he says, peace be unto you. Now this is what the Bible talks about with the first day of the week. And in John chapter 20 verse 19, we don't see anything in here that says that the disciples were assembled together for worship. It just says they were assembled together, huddled together, because they were afraid that the Jews were going to get them, right? Isn't that what the passage of the Bible says? that the disciples were not worshiping on the first day of the week. It just says they're assembled together for fear of the Jews, and Jesus comes to comfort their hearts. Now, notice the next passage of Scripture that deals with the first day of the week, and this is found in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2, and I'd encourage you to look this up at your own time at home. Do some research on these things. Study them. Look at these passages of Scripture and see if what we're studying together is true. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, and Paul is speaking to the church of Corinth, right? That's why it's called Corinthian. And notice what he says to them. There's an issue going on in Jerusalem. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, and many of you have read the book of Acts that discusses this, that there's an issue going on in Jerusalem where the, the Jewish people are being persecuted and so are the Christians. And the Christians are being so persecuted that they're hardly able to support themselves and to live. Now, there's also a famine going on at that time. And Paul, hearing about the trouble of the the Christians in Jerusalem, says, we got to do something about this. So you people over there in Corinth need to help me with this. And notice what he tells them. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, and these are the saints in Jerusalem, as I have given order to the church of Galatia, so you must do also. Notice Paul is notifying all the churches. The church in Galatia tells us about, the church in Corinth now. And what is it that he wants them to do? On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Now when Paul is talking about the famine that's going on and the problem in Jerusalem with the Christians there, he says we need to help them. We need to find ways in which we can monetarily support them through this difficulty. So what I want you to do is on the first day of the week, get a collection of things that you can use to help them because when I come, I don't want 
I don't want there to be a collection taking place. Does that make sense? Can you imagine Paul going to all the church members' homes in Corinth, in Corinth, and as he gets to the house, they say, oh, hold on, let me get some stuff together. Well, if you have a few hundred people to visit, how long is it going to take for you to get through this? Notice that Paul talks about them laying something up in store. It doesn't say that they're supposed to give it in a church offering. It doesn't say that the first day of the week that they're gathered together in a worship service and they're supposed to be giving their finances, right? Am I missing something? This is what the passage of Scripture says, is that on the first day of the week, the only thing we do see the New Testament church doing is laying up funds to help those who are in need so that when the collection comes, they'll be ready to support them. Now, if you have any questions about any of these passages, I would encourage you to write them in your box. But if, this, if you still say, well, okay, I don't see evidence one way or another from this passage, notice what Paul tells us. Actually, Luke, the writer, talking about the experience of Paul, tells us about the church in Corinth in Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. Now, we realize that message was written to which church? The Corinthians, right? First Corinthians. And now we realize Acts chapter 18 tells us about Paul's dealings in Corinth. In other words, was Paul trying to teach these people that on the first day of the week they were supposed to be worshiping, or were they supposed to be observing the Bible Sabbath just like we see consistently all throughout the rest of Scripture? Notice what Paul says. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he reasoned in the synagogue every how often? Every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and who? Greeks. In other words, the Sabbath worship wasn't something just for the Jewish people, but we see even the Greeks, which is just another way of saying the non-Jews, right, were coming in there to worship as well. If Paul was trying to change the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, don't you think he would have said something? Don't you think he would have already changed the church service by now after 40 years after the crucifixion? But we realize that he's still teaching them and going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now we're going to look at the last passage of Scripture that deals with the first day of the week. We've seen a couple already, and we've seen that there's nothing there that tells us that the sanctity or holiness of the Sabbath was changed from the seventh day to the first day. If you can read from Genesis to Revelation, some people offer $1,000 if you can find one text that will just show us where Jesus tells us that it transferred it from the seventh day to the first day. I mean, I can't think of anywhere in Scripture that talks about it. And notice this is the last passage that the Bible records about what happens on the first day of the week. And this is Paul and, and having the experience in Acts chapter 20. And I would invite you there, just so you can follow along in your own Bibles. We're not going to be skipping around to many passages of Scripture as much tonight. And so you'll be able to open here and we'll be here for a little bit. Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, verse 6 through 9. Acts chapter 20, verses 6 through now. Now this is talking about some of Paul's journeys that we see taking place, and we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 20, verse 6, trying to understand what it is with this teaching of the seventh day Sabbath being transferred to the first day of the week. Is it true that it's in the New Testament? Notice what it says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 6. It says, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days joined them at Traus, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, 
when the disciples came together, okay, keep the chronology in your mind, on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until what time? Remember Conrad said that I was a long-winded preacher? Well, can you imagine getting preached at until midnight? So you can be thankful that we leave by 8.30-ish and hopefully a little more accurate that, this time, right? And notice he continues his message till midnight and then what takes place? There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together and in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, how many of you think we should name our daughter Eutychus? Well, maybe not. Eutychus was sinking into a deep sleep. And he was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. And this is where we want to end the message tonight, is that we realize that God tells you what will happen if you fall asleep in church, right? No, that's not what Paul's talking about. But we realize that maybe you shouldn't do it. Now, some people would say, no, this is what happens when a preacher preaches too long, right? People die. But we realize that this isn't the focus of the story that Paul is having this experience, and why is Paul preaching to these people? Why did it say? Notice in verse 6, actually verse 7, it says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul was ready to do what? He was ready to depart the next day. Now Paul had been with them just a short period of time, and after spending a short period of time with them, he had many things to tell them, right? Jesus even told his disciples this. Many things I have to tell you of which you cannot bear them. In other words, he has so much to say. And Paul, wanting to tell these people all of these things, preaches to them all the way until past midnight. Now, it's interesting. Some people say, well, this is a church service. Now, we're going we're gonna to give some merit to this, that that could be a possibility that they're having a form of worship. But let's just notice a few things of, that are, are keys in this passage to helping us understand it. Notice that it says that the disciples came together to break bread. Now, many people read this and think that when the Bible says break bread, that they literally mean that it's more of a spiritual breaking of the bread, right? That they're taking the Word of God and they're breaking it together. And, well, that could be. But what's interesting to note is that Acts chapter 2, and you can reference this, the closing chapters of Acts chapter 2, tells us that they were breaking bread together how often? Daily. That this was a daily occurrence where they're getting together and they're spending time together. Now, why would they be spending so much time together? Well, if you were the only people in Ithaca who believed in Jesus and everyone else around you had just crucified your Savior, who would you be spending your time with? The people out there or the people in here? Right? You'd be spending time together. And you see the disciples, as this is the scenario they're in, they're spending time with one another, breaking bread daily, which means simply that they're taking a loaf of bread and they're breaking it and they're eating it together. There's nothing in the Greek that you can spiritualize that this is some symbolic spiritual service about them having worship together. Now, notice that in the context of Acts chapter 20, that it doesn't say that Paul was there with them in church. It actually says that this meeting takes part at what time in the day? Morning or evening? Notice what it says. It says that there were many lamps in the upper room, verse 8. Why would you need a lamp? Why would it be significant that there was a lamp? Would that be significant in the morning or the evening? Well, it would be significant in the evening, right? Because you wouldn't see anything if there wasn't a lamp. And you realize that Paul is gathered with these people on the first day of the week in the evening. 
Now this is what leads us to our next question. I want to ask you a question. How do you know when the next day is? Now this is not some philosophical question, right? I'm not going to get into the philosophy of time or anything that's like that. But I want to ask you a question. How do we know in our culture today when the next day is? Midnight, right? We look at our clock and we say, it's midnight. Now hopefully many of you aren't staying up to see that time, right? Because if not, Rick will have something for us on the benefits of sleep. But we realize that if you look at your clock and it's midnight, 12.01 starts the what? Next day. Now, I want to ask you a question. When was the wristwatch invented? When was a clock invented? Well, I, I googled it on the way here. It was about 1700s at best. So, okay, here the people are in the book of Acts, and they're about 1700 years before the time of a clock coming, and it tells us that it was the first day of the week. How do they know it's the first day of the week? Are they using their sundials to tell them when it's midnight? No, a sundial can't tell you when it's midnight, right? Notice what the Bible says that helps us understand what day of the week, or how we know what time the next day begins. Notice this, and now we can go back to Genesis so many times and find keys to understanding what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 1 verse 5. Genesis chapter 1 verse 5 says something that we don't often think of as abnormal in our society, but it's actually counterintuitive to the way that we view the day. Jesus says, talking about at the end of creation of the first day, he steps back, he says that it was good, and then the Bible gives this line. So the evening and the morning were the what? First day. Now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 8, it says, so the evening and the morning was the second day. Genesis chapter 1, verse 16 says, and the evening and the morning was the first day. Sorry, that was verse 13. Verse 19 continues on and says, so the evening and the morning was the fourth day. Now, what do you notice about this understanding of the day that is different than our understanding of the day? When does our day begin? Morning or evening? Well, midnight is early morning, right? 12.01, it would be 12.01 in the morning is when our day begins and it progresses and as the day is spent and it's sundown and then you have this time and it goes till midnight and then it's the evening, right? Now, we notice that actually when the Bible talks about reckoning the time of a day, it says that it starts in the evening and goes till the morning. Now, there's also another passage in Scripture that helps us understand that this is not just evening to morning, and then what do you do with the afternoon? It's actually talking about from even to even. Now the question is, when is evening or when is the even? And we can notice what Leviticus 23.32 tells us about the Sabbath that makes it a clear understanding about what the day is and how this informs our understanding of Acts chapter 20. Notice what Leviticus 23.32 says. It says, from evening till evening you shall do what? celebrate your Sabbath. Now, the Bible tells us that a Sabbath is a whole day with God, right? It's the seventh day, and here we're finding in Leviticus that it's from evening till evening that we're supposed to be celebrating our Sabbath. In other words, they didn't have watches to be looking at to know when it was midnight, to know that it was the next day, but the only thing that they knew to end a day was when the sun went down. Jesus even says this in his words, and we understand the chronology of this from Mark chapter 1, verse 32, and it says, at evening. Now, the question is, when is evening, right? Is it 6 o'clock? What, what time is it? At evening, when the sun had what? Set. 
they brought to him all that were sick and those who were demon-possessed. You see, there was an understanding that's different than our 21st century understanding of what a day was. They understood that a day went from evening till evening, from sunset to sunset, right? Isn't this what we have as we package these three verses together? We realize that the sunset of one day is actually the beginning of the next day. So if I have to tell you something, I actually spent my birthday with you yesterday, right? Because sundown last night started the day of April 5th, biblically speaking, right? Now we reckon days different now in the 21st century, so I actually wasn't it wasn't my birthday till this morning, so I understand that. But we realize that in the chronology of Scripture, that it's from evening till evening that the disciples, are, that the people understood that the day went. Now, with that understanding, go back to Acts chapter 20. What does this tell us about Acts chapter 20? Acts chapter 20, let's read it again with our new first century glasses on, right? Not our 21st century, but first century, understanding their mindset. It says, now on the first day of the week. What? Okay, the first day of the week. All right, we got that part. When the disciples had come together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart on the next day, said to them and continued his message until when? Midnight. So it's the first day, and is it morning or evening? Evening, right? That's what the Bible's telling us, that it's evening on the first day. So when we're thinking of this, the evening of the first day of the week actually comes to what we think to be as Saturday night, right? That as Friday night starts the seventh day, and as it goes down through the sunset and then sundown Saturday evening starts the first day, sundown Sunday evening would start the second day, right? So what's interesting to notice in this chronology here is that even if there was a worship service happening here found in Revelation or Acts chapter 20, is that they weren't worshiping Sunday morning at church, but if they were worshiping, it was actually Saturday night, and that would be right after they had just finished keeping the Sabbath. There's nothing here that says that Jesus here is instituting a new day of worship. Does that make sense? I mean, do, we can't find that anywhere in the Scriptures. And when I look at this passage, I can't say something that it, you can't prove the Sabbath from this passage, and you also can't discount the Sabbath from this passage. You really just come to the end of it and say, well, it doesn't tell us anything about keeping the first day of the week, but it, what it really does is just helps us understand what day is, or when a day ends and when it doesn't, and we've gotten a really good history lesson over that. Now, why is all of this important? You see, God is so consistent that God knows that we're simple creatures. You know, David says something in the Psalms. He says, God knows that he is but dust. How many of you remember that very frequently? I wouldn't encourage you to really ponder on that too much, but remember that you're just dirt, right? Now, I'm, I'm not talking about in the derogatory sense, right? Not what someone would call you when they're mad at you. But really, we're not that intelligent. We've been degraded by sin. We're just, you know, molecules of dirt put together, and it's only by the mercy of God we have a brain, right? And praise the Lord from what we learned last night, that if we do 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise a day, we can increase our brain function by 2%. I think we all could use a little bit of that. But we realize we're really not that smart. And God, knowing that, tells us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, hey, I'm going to make it easy for you. I am the Lord, and I change not. In other words, you learn one thing, and once you've learned that, I'm going to keep that consistent all throughout the rest of Scripture and the rest of your life. Now, how many of you are thankful for that? 
that the Lord doesn't come up with a new system every other day to try to explain to us something new about his character, but that God is consistent throughout Scripture to help us understand who he is. Now, if he's the Lord and he doesn't change, then why is it that we find that all throughout Scripture, people are worshiping on the seventh-day Sabbath, but now in the 21st century Christian world, the majority of people are worshiping on Sunday? Well, notice Revelation chapter 14, verse 7 is calling us back to worship him who made heavens and the earth and the seas and the fountains of water. In other words, God is reminding us that we need to be a people who remember the Creator's day of worship, right? And Jesus, when we see his example in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, that so, uh, and so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on which day? Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And Jesus tells us, and Jesus and the apostles understand one thing, that it's more important to follow who? Me or Jesus? Jesus, right? If there's any preacher who tells you something that's not in line with the Bible and Jesus, who should you listen to? Jesus. I don't take offense to it. I would hope that you would warn me that I'm telling you something wrong, and we would both be led to Jesus, right? That's what we ought to do. And the apostles, when they're brought into conflict between what Jesus says and what other people are telling them, notice what their response is in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. It says they they spoke as they're getting threatened that they shouldn't preach the gospel anymore. It says that we ought to obey God rather than man. Now, I know there's many people here this evening who might be hearing the idea that the seventh-day Sabbath is the Sabbath for the very first time in your life. And you start to wonder, well, how is it that this can be the Sabbath if all of the world in the majority is worshiping on Sunday, on the first day of the week? Well, the question is, are we going to follow man, the majority of man, or do we follow what God says? If God tells us something is important, do we think that he knows better than what the vast majority of the world does? Some people might say, well, you know, I had a God-fearing parent who raised me to go to church on Sunday. Now, how many of you are thankful for your God-fearing parents who raised you to go to church? I don't care what day of the week it is. I think that godly parents are doing their best. And we learned last night that the path of the just grows brighter and brighter. In other words, we're constantly learning more. Your parents lived up to all the light that they knew, right? Trying to lead you in the way of the Lord. And if we learn anything new and we're not to follow it, then we wouldn't be following our parents' example, right? They were learning and following everything that they knew, and they would expect us to do the same because we ought to obey God rather than man. You see, Jesus comes to the point, and and we realize this in in Revelation chapter 1, that there's a group of people in the last days who are following God And it tells us that after this, there's Revelation chapter 13 right before this section where the whole world is wandering after the beast, but then it talks about a group of people who are following Jesus, and it says that they followed the Lamb wherever He went. In other words, whatever Jesus did, they did. It wasn't about what other people were doing, but they said, if Jesus is doing it, then I want to do it too. They weren't concerned about their own personal comfort. They weren't concerned about their own traditions. But they said, whatever Jesus says, we just want to follow it faithfully by His grace. Well, it's important for us to have the same attitude today that we would follow Jesus, even though the vast majority of the world sometimes is confused on these issues. 
and we wonder why this confusion comes and we realize that the reason that we have confusion over the day of worship today is not because God was confusing, Scripture was consistent, but because someone was intending to change times and laws. Now I'm going to share with you a few quotes. You can look these quotes up. I would encourage you to do it because as you see the truth of these sources, you'll realize it's something I didn't just make up, but it's known in Christian history. Why is it that the vast majority of the world today goes to church on Sunday and not Saturday? Notice what this tells us. Constantine. How many of you know who Constantine was? Third century or fourth century. And we realize that he was someone who was ruling in the Roman Empire and he began to be friends with the, befriending the Christians. Instead of persecuting and killing the Christians, he started to Christianize the nation. Now Constantine, notice what he did in AD 321. On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and the people residing in the cities do what? Rest. Now the word Sabbath simply means rest. Let them rest and shops be closed. Now, Constantine, in 321 AD, is the first official document that we see where someone is saying, now the sanctity of the Sabbath needs to move from Sunday, or from Saturday to Sunday. Now, you might say, well, there, weren't there some people worshiping Sunday before that? Well, there's some small groups of people, but nothing notable enough to really talk about in, in general history. And the very first idea of Sunday having sanctity or holiness starts with Constantine in A.D. 321. Now notice this next passage. This is from the Catholic World, page 809 in 1994. It says, the sun was a foremost god with heathendom. And there is, in truth, something royal, kingly about the sun making it a fit emblem of Jesus, the Son of Justice. Hence, the church in these countries would seem to have said, keep that old pagan name. It shall remain consecrated, sanctified. And thus, the pagan Sunday dedicated to Balder became the Christian Sunday uh, sacred to Jesus. Now, this is interesting. Notice that there's nothing in here that says the Bible says, and this is why we do it. But really, it's just the reason why we keep Sunday is because that's the day that the, the pagan people were used to worshiping on, and by switching our worship services to Sunday, it was a natural transition for them. Now, I'm not making this history up. I would encourage you to go read it, and if you're looking for resources to read it in, I can bring you some, of the, some books that I found helpful. But you can find where Constantine was really a pagan man, and he just wanted to win the favor of the Christians to unite the empire. You see, the Roman Empire was quite divided. They had tried persecuting the Christians so much and killing them in order to unite the empire by squelching out Christianity, but we're told by Tertullian, the, the historian, that the blood of the seed of those martyrs, or the blood of those martyrs was like seed. In other words, you would kill one Christian and ten would sprout up. And so Constantine couldn't solve this problem of how do you reunite the empire? Well, the empire was already a pagan empire. They all were supposed to be worshiping the emperor. The emperor was known as their primary god, and you can read the articles, and I found it fascinating that first century governors were saying, I don't know what we're going to do. No one's showing up for pagan emperor worship because everyone's turning away and becoming a Christian. 
Well, Constantine gets a bright idea, and he says, you know what I can do? I can take the very day that these people, the pagans, are used to worshiping on, and I can help the Christians start to transition their day of worship to Sunday, and what we can do is change some of the objects and make them a little more Christian so that it's easier for the Christians to worship them, and the pagans won't really mind much at all either. And this is how the transition from Sabbath to Sunday starts. You see, it's not a biblical institution, but it's really just a tradition of man that leads us to this point. Now, notice what happens. This is the Council of Laodicea, and this happens in A.D. 363, and these are some of the main councils of the Christian church at that time. And notice what happens. By 363, we realize that there's a very strong, outspoken resistance to the idea of the Sabbath of the seventh day. Notice what it says. Christians shall not Judaize and be idle on Saturday. In other words, it's become a derogatory thing, right? You're just one of those Jew people. You know, you're, you're just causing problems in our kingdom. You can't be idle on Saturday anymore. Not as it just a bad idea, but notice what's going to happen. But the Lord's day they shall especially honor and as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. Now, you, you have to make sure you work on Sabbath, right? Don't be idle. But, you know, try not to work on the Sabbath. Is that what the Bible says in the commandment, try not to work? No, it says thou shalt not work, right? But they've kind of softened that, and it doesn't really matter. And it says you shall try not to do any work. If, however, they are found Judaizing, which means resting on the seventh day Sabbath, they shall be shut out from Christ that the Christian church is now starting to persecute people using the law, even though just a few centuries before, or actually a few decades before, they were being persecuted by the law. We're realizing that history is starting to repeat itself, and now they're starting to cause people to be unable of being faithful to their consciences. Notice what this one says. This is from Convert's Catechism of Catholic Doctrine, page 50. And understanding where does this idea of Sunday sacredness come from? Catholic Catechism, page 50. And the question is asked, this is in question-answer format in their original document, and the question is asked is which is the Sabbath day? That's a good question. That's what we're looking at over these last two nights. And the answer is Saturday is the Sabbath day. Now that's interesting. Notice what the next question comes. Then why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? You realize that this is the Catholic Church writing this who goes to church every Sunday, right? That's when their main mass is, and they're telling you that Sabbath is on Sunday. Well, why do we observe that? It says the answer is because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from what? Saturday to Sunday. Notice it doesn't say Jesus changed his mind. The apostles didn't teach something new, but it says that the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Now it continues on in the Catholic Encyclopedia, volume 4, page 153, and it says, The Church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day to the first day of the week, made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. Now some of you might be thinking, third commandment? I thought the Sabbath was the fourth commandment, right? Well, what's interesting is the Catholic Church not only, and I'm not blasting them, we're just telling you what they're telling you ourselves, 
is that they actually took the Ten Commandments and they took the second commandment out that said you shall not bow down to any graven images, right? And they took that out because that was inconvenient. When Constantine became ruler of the church, the pagans had a bunch of images and idols that they would worship. Many of you know that there's, uh, in St. Peter's Basilica, there's a statue of Peter, right? And many people go and they'll pay homage to that and they'll kiss the toe of Peter. I think last time, were you there? And they closed the exhibit because too many people had kissed his toe and it fell off. And they, they have this image of Peter there. And what's interesting is now he's St. Peter, but during the time that that actually used to be a pagan temple, and that was Jupiter. You see, all they did was change the names of the statues to saints so that now they can worship them. And they actually took the second commandment out that said, you shall not have any graven images, and said, well, that's really inconvenient. Let's just change that. And now instead of having the first four commandments, they only have three at the beginning. And they took the tenth commandment that says, thou shall not covet, and split it into two. So thou shall not covet thy neighbor's wife, and thou shall not covet thy neighbor's house. Two different commandments, nine and ten. And you realize that they're changing the Bible, and instead of just allowing the Bible to tell us clearly what Jesus wants us to do, they're setting up tradition that's leading us away from the experience of rest that God longs to give us. You see that it was the Catholic Church, and with the work of the Roman Empire, that transferred the day of Sabbath to Sunday. A couple more quotes, just looking, trying to give them an honest evaluation of what they're telling us and understanding the issue. This is from Catholicism and Fundamentalism, page 28, and it says, Fundamentalists met for worship on Sunday, yet, or meet for worship on Sunday, forgive me, yet there is no evidence where. Isn't that really strong language? No evidence in the Bible that cooperate worship uh, or that corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath, or day of rest, was of course Saturday. It was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for the Christians in honor of the resurrection. Now we have to understand this. The resurrection is key to the Christian life. Paul says if the resurrection didn't happen, we have no need to be here. Right? It's essential to why we're Christians. If Jesus died and didn't rise again, is he really God? No. But that didn't happen. The tomb is empty and the resurrection is crucial to our understanding of the Bible. But just because the resurrection is important doesn't mean that I should say, well, you know what? God told us that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath and memorial of creation, but I'm going to do away with that and just keep it as a memorial of the resurrection. Well, Jesus tells us, and we saw in Romans chapter 6, that God gave us baptism as the symbol to commemorate the resurrection, right? And now because of this, people start taking their traditions and putting their traditions into what the Bible says. Faith of Our Fathers, page 561. You may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The Scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. The question is, is what do we want to follow? Are we expecting to follow Jesus, or do we want to follow tradition? We see that nowhere in Scripture does Jesus tell us to experience rest on the first day of the week. But God has given us such a great blessing in the Sabbath, right? He wants us to take 24 hours to rest with Him, to experience His blessings. And do you think that Satan wants to keep you from those blessings? How many of you know that Satan has no desire to bless you? That he wants to do everything that it takes to take your life? 
And he knows that if we can be disconnected from God enough, that we can finally give in to other deception that is given. You see, Satan is doing all that he can to confuse the day of worship, but Jesus is trying to lead us back to what the truth is. Now, I'm not telling you this because I think that you, the people sitting in this auditorium or the person standing here is a bunch of pagans, right? We realize that we're here because we're serving the Lord with all of our heart. You wouldn't come out night after night if you weren't interested in serving the Lord with all of your heart. We have family members, we have friends, we have people in all sorts of different places that we know that God is working with. But as the Lord reveals something to us, do we just set it aside and say, well, I've always done this my whole life, so it doesn't really matter anymore? Or do we say, Lord, if this is what you're calling me to do, then I want to walk in and continue in this process of the Christian life and experience the blessings that you give. Jesus asked the question, do we want to follow his word? Do we want to follow his truth? Or do we want to follow the traditions of man? You know, Jesus got a little bit upset at the Pharisees as they would try to catch Jesus up in their traditions. And Jesus asked them this question once, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 3, and he, Jesus speaking, answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of what? Your tradition. And I wonder if the Lord was here speaking to us this evening what he would ask us. Do we want to follow our traditions or do we want to follow what God says? You see, the Bible is clear that Jesus is longing for us to experience the blessing of rest in the Sabbath. And we can only have that as we continue to follow what Jesus has laid out. You tell, Jesus tells us that we shall know the truth and the truth shall make us free. And this is God's desire for each one of us this evening. As we realize the sacrifice that Christ has made, we, we know that each one of us are here this evening because of what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus loves us so much, that's why we're willing to say, Lord, I'll follow you with my whole heart. And we haven't come this far in our lives to say, Lord, I've followed you up to here, but no further, right? We want to say, Lord, as I continue to learn more, help me to walk in those things. Sometimes it might feel like a sacrifice. Well, I don't know what people will think of me if I worship on the seventh day of the week, if that's what Jesus tells me. But when has it ever become popular to do what Jesus says? We, we realize that obeying Jesus, we experience all the fullness of joy more than we ever could if we desired to live without it. As Jesus takes the Bible and as He leads us through it, it's by faith that we grasp hold of what He says, right? Jesus tells us something, we believe it, and we believe that it's His power that helps us to be able to see it accomplished in our lives. I don't know about you, but as I read through these passages of Scripture and as I see clearly what the Bible tells us, it's so easy for us to be able to come to this point that says, Lord, I've never known this before, but I want to walk in what I'm learning. Lord, I want to continue going forward in the things that I'm understanding from Scripture. Jesus says, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. And you say, Lord, I can't do that on my own. There's no ability that I have to be faithful. But Lord, I know that you can help me to be faithful to the power that you have. As we've presented this this evening, I know there's some of you who might have questions, and we would encourage you to continue to ask those questions, to study your Bible. And as we continue to study together, I pray that we'll have the desire like Joshua had in Joshua chapter 24. You see, Joshua, as he got to the end of his life, he said there's one thing that he knew for certain. He says, as for me and my house, we will do what? We're going to serve the Lord. There might be people all around us doing different things. 
There might be people around us who we love and respect who worship on Sunday, and we say, well, praise the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord. They're doing the best that they understand. But as for me and my house, I know that what God is calling me to do, and I want to follow Jesus. I want to serve the Lord with everything that I have, not because I'm worthy of experiencing the blessings of God, but because God longs to give it to all of us so that we can continue to come into the light of knowing Jesus. Is this your desire this evening? Lord, help us to serve you. Whatever it is, whatever you're calling us to do, help us to have the experience where we can say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If that's your desire, why don't you pray with me as we close? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what we've been able to learn in your word in these last few evenings. Lord, we know that Jesus is just longing to pour out blessing upon blessing upon us. That, Father, you long for us to experience rest. You long for us to experience time with you. And, Father, we pray that you would help us to walk in the new knowledge of the truth that we have. Lord, we are so thankful that you've been leading us all through our lives, and we can have assurance that you're leading us now as we see it clearly in your word. Help us as we continue to move forward and to walk in your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.